Well, every culture has a way of, a prescribed way of finding yourself. Um, every culture has a way of, of discovering your identity, of discovering who you really are. And modern culture, uh, the modern Western culture, the United States culture, is no different. Uh, we have a prescribed way of finding yourself, of where your identity is located. And if you want to know what that is, all you need to do is watch a Disney movie. So uh, the other night we were watching Moana, and uh, as we were watching it, <laughs> doing research for the sermon, you know, as we were watching the, the movie, um, Anita said, Bryn, have you noticed how every, uh, the plotline of every Disney movie is the same? It's the same, and, and here's the story of Moana. Here's this girl, you know, this young girl, and, and she's supposed to be the queen. She's supposed to stay on the island. She's to, suspo supposed to submit her desires to that which is outside of her, but she knows deep on the inside that she needs to be out on the water, that she needs to be sailing off into that next place. She needs to discover herself. And in the movie, the first song that begins, to, that, that, that begins the movie, it's a song called uh, How Far I'll Go, and this is how it goes. Um, it's sung by, well, Moana's singing it, but then she goes out, and she sees her grandmother out there, and her grandma's like this free spirit, and she's doing, you know, I, I won't go there, but she's doing this dance. And she begins to sing to Moana, and here's what she says. I like to dance with the water, the undertow and the, I'm not gonna sing this, by the way, the undertow and the waves, the water is mischievous. Ha, I like how it misbehaves. The village may think I'm crazy or say that I drift too far. I'm not gonna sing it. <laughs> but once you know what you like, well, there you are. <laughs> I'm not done. Your father's daughter, stubbornness and pride, mind what he says, but remember, you may hear a voice inside, and if that voice starts to whisper to follow the furthest star, Moana, that is who you are. Do you hear it? This is our culture's prescribed way of knowing who you are. Look inside, ask yourself the question, what do I want? What are my deepest wants? What are my deepest desires? And you pursue those desires no matter what anybody else says. All right, there's also Frozen. And I'm sorry to parents, I'm sorry, because you spent three years trying to forget this song. But you know, this, you know the story, there's Elsa, you know, and she's kind of trapped, and there's all these exterior restraints around her, and this is what she's supposed to be, but inside she knows that she needs to let it go. Let it go. And so she breaks out, and this is when she gets all glam, by the way, right? She has the cape, and then she, her hair, you know, and everything. And she, what does she sing? She sings, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Now, you think of your five-year-old daughter singing that song. It sounds like a threat, doesn't it? <laughs> but there it is again. There's the modern narrative. It is, this is how you discover yourself. This is how you know who you are. You look deep down inside, you ask yourself, what do I really, really want? And then you pursue that desire no matter what anybody else says. Oh, but there's even older movies, like The Sound of Music. I know I'm picking on everybody this morning. And you, you remember there's a song in, in, in the movie where it says, climb every mountain, forge every stream, follow every rainbow until you catch your dream. And you remember that song is sung to Maria, and she's being encouraged to forsake her vows in the monastery and to follow her dream in the convent and follow her dream. 
to go after her love, to be herself, to find herself. Now, I'm, I, I like all of these movies for the most part. Frozen was eh, but Moana's great, you know? I'm, I'm, I like it. And there is something true about following your dream and, you know, I'm breaking out of the barriers. You know, if you're an artist and you grew up in the family where dad was an engineer and, and this is what's expected, well, sometimes there's wisdom in following your heart and, and being who, who God has made you to be. I mean, it's not all bad, but I think what's wrong with it is that this has become sort of our baseline narrative. It's, what's dangerous is how absolute it's become. And the way Tim Keller puts it, he says, you know, th this is almost, you know, be yourself, be true to yourself is almost the one moral absolute that we have left. It's the one heroic narrative that we have left in our modern culture. This is the way to find yourself. You've got to be you. You've got to be true to yourself. You've got to follow your dreams, no matter what anybody else says. And again, there's issues with this. Uh, one of the problems that I think is that's, that we have with this is that, you know, be true to yourself. I mean, if this is the goal, you need to ask your question, well, who, what are my desires? If I need to follow my heart and if I need to follow my deepest desires, well, sometimes it's hard to know what your deepest desires are because your deepest desires conflict and they disagree with one another. Right, I, I want to be successful, and I want to move up the corporate ladder, but I also want to be a family man and, and love my kids. And sometimes those two are against each other. Which one do I follow? Right, I want to I have a healthy body, and I want to be thin, but I also want donut palace. Which one is my deep des deepest desire? Which one do I follow? But there's a deeper problem, and that, that is that this, at the end of the day, doesn't seem to be working. You know, in our culture, in our, where we are free to follow our dreams and be who we are and look deep down inside and follow our heart, are we happy because of it? What's interesting is that behind China and India, the U.S. is the third most miserable country in the world. Only one out of three Americans in our self-oriented culture say that they are happy. What that means is that most Americans, if they're asked, will say, I, I just, I'm not. A suicide has increased 30% in the last 20 years. And it's almost like, you remember the song by Sheryl Crow, if it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? Why are we so sad? Could it be that our obsession with self, could it be that our introspection, that, that looking deep down inside of us and following our dreams, no matter what anybody else says, is actually making us miserable? Jesus has a better way. Now, uh, we're in a series called uh, The Way of the Cross. And what we've been saying is that uh, being a Christian is all about following Jesus. Now, when you follow Jesus, you gotta ask him the question, where are you going? Where is Jesus, if I'm following Jesus, where is he taking me? What we're discovering is that he's taking us on a journey to the cross. And in this passage, what he says is he says, here, I want you to follow me. And what's interesting is Jesus says, when you follow me, you find yourself. Jesus is also interested in you finding yourself. But notice, he says, the way you find yourself is counterintuitive. The way you find yourself is actually almost kind of backwards in our self-oriented culture. Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, here's the way. Deny yourself. 
He says, if you want to you discover your life, then lose your life. If you want to know who you are, go on a journey to the cross. But what does Jesus mean by this? And uh, that's what I want to explore this, this morning. I want to go through this, uh, this passage here where Jesus makes that incredible statement. And we're going to ask, what does Jesus mean when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? Because it sounds kind of like he's asking us to hate ourselves, you know, like just have a bad self-esteem, just deny yourself, just walk around, you know, miserable all day long, sort of a religious masochism. I mean, what does Jesus mean when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? It's the pathway to life and to find yourself, but what does he mean? Three things I want us to see today. Three things that Jesus means when he says, uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's gonna break it apart. And I think the first thing that Jesus means when he says, deny yourself, is he means, uh, number one, that we need to dethrone ourselves. The way that Jesus is presenting us is a way of self-dethronement. It means to take yourself off the throne of your life. And when we hear the word deny yourself, we almost, you know, our go-to is like to, to think about like luxuries that we deny ourselves. We think that Jesus is talking about self-discipline. He is in sort of a way, but it's much bigger than that. He's not just talking about giving up the four C's for Lent. What are the four C's, you say? Chocolate, cake, cigarettes, and cocktails. He's talking more, yeah. He's not just talking about when you're at a restaurant, you know, and the, 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 the waiter comes with dessert, and you say, no, no thank you to the chocolate cake. I'm gonna deny myself dessert today. He's not just talking about denying yourself sleep when you get up to go to CrossFit in the morning. This is much bigger than that. And in order to understand what he's talking about, you gotta go back to, to the context. So Jesus says this, this sentence, this little phrase, uh, in response to Peter. Peter, if you just back up a little bit, he's, he's locked in an argument with Jesus. Jesus has just said, uh, I'm gonna, he says plainly and openly for the first time in Mark, he says, I, the son of man is gonna suffer, he's gonna be rejected, and he's gonna die. And Peter, you know, he's just made this amazing confession, so he's on a roll, and he comes up to Jesus, and he gives him a little 360 review, and he says, Jesus, no, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You're not gonna go to the cross. Stop, this is negative talk. Don't say this. You go back out there, Jesus, and you talk about prayer. You know, that line about the birds and the flowers, go with that. None of this cross stuff. And Jesus is in sort of, he's locked in a battle with, with Peter, and it's a battle of wills. It's a battle of wants. Jesus says, we're gonna go to the cross, and Peter says, no, I'd like to not do that, please. We're not gonna do that. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. And, and Jesus says, Peter, you need to deny yourself, meaning not so much deny yourself a cocktail or something like that, but deny yourself to yourself. In other words, he's saying, Peter, you need to take yourself off the throne. None of this arguing with me. Instead, you must follow me. Uh, John Stott puts it this way. He says, when Jesus says deny yourself, he's saying repudiate any supposed right I have to go my own way, to do my own thing, or to be my own boss. In other words, Jesus has another way. Instead of looking inside yourself and saying, what do I really, really want? What is my deepest desire? 
Instead of looking inside of yourself, you look outside of yourself. And you ask, what does he want? What is his desire? Not what do I will, but what does he will for my life? Jesus modeled it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember he's praying and he's saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's self-denial. It is taking yourself off the throne of your life and putting Jesus there instead. What does that look like? It looks like every day you wake up in the morning and instead of asking yourself the question, what do I really want today? What is my deepest desire today? You say, Lord, what do you want for my life? Lord, what is your desire? What is your will? What is your plan? Because I want to go your way. Now, the problem is what we do instead is we pre-decide what we want to do. Here's my, here's my agenda. This is what I want. Lord, will you come and baptize my want? We invite Jesus into our life as a life coach. And Jesus, will you help me follow my dreams? Let me write it out for you, Jesus. Let me tell you everything that I want to do. And, and would you help me do my, my own thing? Uh, I read this past week that in the, in the Middle Ages, uh, the Knights of Templar, you know, these the warriors for Jesus who would go out on the Crusades, uh, they actually got baptized in their full armor. And when they were baptized in that armor, everything would go down except for the sword that they would leave out. And I think nowadays the equivalent would be like being baptized except for here's my wallet. I'm going to keep it out of the water. Here's my cell phone. I'm just going to stay up there. Everything else will go down. Here's my sex life. Here's my agenda. Jesus, will you baptize my agenda? Jesus, I will obey you as long as it makes sense to me. As long as I agree with it, then, then we can do our thing, Jesus. Let's work together here. And Jesus says, no. If you want to find yourself, the first step is to look outside of yourself and to ask Jesus, what is your will? What is your want? What is your desire? What do you want for my life? Jesus, you're not an accessory on a life that is still very much under my control. Lord, I am giving my life over to, over to your control. Some of us struggle with that. Or is that just me, maybe? <laughs> Jesus says, first you need to dethrone yourself. That's the way to self-discovery. Look outside of yourself. Not what I want, not I will, but what is he will. But secondly, here's uh, the next step Jesus says. He says, first, deny yourself. But secondly, he says, I want you to pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. I think what he's talking about here is embracing the cost of following him. In the ancient world, uh, the cross, it's, it's, almost, it's, so, it's almost impossible for us to really understand how this felt to the earliest disciples. Because in our world, the cross is a piece of jewelry, isn't it? We, we, it's beautiful. We, we wear them around our necks. We, our, we adorn our churches with them. The cross is a beautiful metaphor of Jesus' love for me, and it is. But originally, the cross, when, they, this, when Jesus said this word, immediately the disciples thought about a torture instrument. The Romans had made the cross a common sight in all the provinces that they had colonized. And Palestine was no different. And so that meant that if, when you walk down the road of Jerusalem, there would be crosses lining the street. And it was a form of torture reserved for the lowest of the low. 
It was excruciating. In fact, the word excruciating has its origin in the word cross. A painful, humiliating, excruciating way to die. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, pick up your cross. In other words, he's saying, there's a cost to following me. There's a cross, there's a cost. This is why uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Jesus Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, up until this point, uh, Peter, it, it didn't really cost Peter a whole lot to follow Jesus. Yes, he left his nets, and that was a big deal. But he left them, and, and he walked into just crowds, you know, surrounding them everywhere they went. I mean, popularity. And he experienced miracles on a daily basis. Here, walking with Jesus, and just the chapter before, he fed 5,000 people with a few lo loaves and, of bread and fish. It meant teaching every day, amazing teaching, and Jesus, Peter was like, yeah, I like this Jesus thing. Yeah, I left my nets, no big deal. I can, let's just keep on going, and pretty soon we'll be taking over Palestine, and then we'll be taking over Rome, and this is going in a good direction. And then Jesus said, actually, I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and I'm going to die, and I want you to pick up that same cross and follow me. There is always a cost when you follow Jesus. There's always a cost. You know, you give your life and, to Jesus, and you say, okay, my life is yours, and that works as long as Jesus' will for your life is kind of aligning with your will for your life. But what happens when the two are different? When following Jesus means a pay cut at work because you refuse to lie. When following Jesus means staying in a marriage that's been dif difficult for years and years. When following Jesus means generosity and it means maybe downward mobility and giving my money to somebody else. What does it mean when Jesus calls you into something that actually costs you? When Jesus' will for your life disagrees with your own will for your life, what does it mean when you're suffering? And it's hard, and you're like, Jesus, what? I thought I was one of your children, and I, I thought that you were with me, and what is going on here? What does it mean what it means to, when, you have to, when you follow Jesus, even when it hurts? There is always a cost to following Christ. And yes, there's fruitfulness, and there's joy, but it's there's always a price to pay. You know, when we were in Mexico City, uh, we were seeing John Luke and, and all this amazing work that he's doing down there, following the call of Jesus. I mean, it was a excitement every day. I mean, just amazing things that they were doing. But there was one uh, afternoon, I was sitting in the hacienda, you know, in the backyard, and I was in a cot, you know, and I was reading the Bible, and I was just kind of sitting there, and I saw John Luke's little boy, beautiful little boy, running around the backyard with a friend of his. And John Luke's little boy is nine years old, the same age as my Luke. And I just started thinking, like, what, what would it be like to raise my family in the slums of Mexico? If you look on your weather app in Mexico City, you could probably do it right now. Don't do it right now. But if you do it right now, every day in Mexico City, it says air quality poor. Raising his little boy in that. No organic food. Houses piled on top of each other, dirt streets, raising his family in that. Because there's a cost. When John Luke said yes to Jesus, he also said no to a million other things. 
what is it going to cost you to follow the call of Jesus? Because Jesus was clear about this. Jesus, it wasn't like in the fine print, you know? Like, it's not like Jesus made all of these promises. Like, right up front, Jesus one time said, if following me is like building a house, and before you build a house, you count the cost. What is it going to cost you to follow Jesus? What are you going to have to give up? There's, we went to a conference uh, on Friday and Saturday just a couple days ago here, and a, a woman got up, and she was talking about college ministry. She was a pastor, and she was you know, talking about how God was just bringing kids to Christ through their college ministry, and all these amazing things are happening. And she said, it all began when we decided to go uh, into the bars and the nightclubs in London. And so she, she said, we would go in there, and at first nobody listened, but she said, what we started doing is when drunk people would throw up, we would clean it for them. And when people had had too much to drink and they needed a ride home, we would drive them home, no matter how far. And she said, the first people to come to Christ were the bouncers outside of the bar because she saw what we were willing to do. And then these kids came to Christ, but she said, there was a cost there. You know, I want, I want my ministry to be fruitful, but there's, wherever there is fruit, there is always a cost. What is your cost? And I hope right now you're getting a little nervous and uncomfortable. Let's just stop for a minute and just think about this. Jesus says, pick up your cross. This is not your best life now. This is, Lord, I want to follow you, and, and, and I know that it may cost me. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you finances. What is the price? For you to follow Jesus. There's a third thing that I think this means, because Jesus says, not only do you dethrone yourself, not only must you embrace the cost involved in following me, but you must also, he says, lose your life. The third pithy step to finding yourself. Lose your life. Now, when Jesus said this, for the original disciples, this was literal. Every single one of the earliest disciples would literally lose their life. Peter was crucified upside down, just like Jesus. Uh, Paul would, would get his head cut off uh, in a prison in Rome. Uh, John was boiled in hot oil and then left on an island uh, to die. For the earliest disciples, losing your life was a literal thing. But for all of us, I think there's, there's more of a metaphorical aspect to this. In fact, later on in the New Testament, Paul uses the, cru the, the cross as a metaphor. And he says, you need to crucify yourself. You need to die to yourself. That's the word that he uses. He says, uh, you know, die to your flesh is what Paul would talk about here. And, and what he's talking about is having a severity, having a willingness to just destroy that part of you that is unredeemed. Now, this doesn't sound very life-affirming, does it? I mean, how do I destroy myself and crucify myself and still affirm myself? You got to remember that you are a very, yourself is a very complex entity. Right? You are both good and bad. You are both Jekyll and Hyde. Peter was both the, the apostle and the one that Jesus looked at and said, get behind me, Satan. One of the top three things you don't want to hear from the Son of God, Right? but you're complex. You know, you want a healthy body, you want Donut Palace. It's because you've got two selves. 
You've got a created self, which is made in the image of God, absolutely valuable and precious. But then you also have a fallen self. You have a you that is, that is beautiful and, and God's masterpiece, and you also have a you that is the result of the fall. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you're going to find yourself, you must crucify the false self. True self-denial is not self-destruction. It's actually self-discovery because when you deny your false self, you find your true self. And so you look inside and you say, this desire I have, is this part of the fallen me or the, or the created me? Is this my false self or is this my true self? Our false self is filled with self-centeredness and arrogance, a desire for self, a desire to pollute the environment, an urge for violence, lust, idolatry. And Jesus says, destroy that, reject that fallen self, and you will live, you will find yourself. Now, sometimes this can be excruciating. And for Peter, when he stood up to Jesus and said, no, you won't die, and we're not going to die, Jesus was saying, that's your false self speaking, Peter. Yes, there's something right about you, Peter, but there's also this ambition and this desire to dominate and this desire to take over. And I'm telling you, Peter, if you follow that, you're going to lose your life. But if you crucify the self, you will live. On Thursday, I took a day off because we're going on a conference Friday, and so Thursday is my day off. And on my day off, usually I do a couple things. I practice the piano because I'm learning how to piano, play the piano, hoping to be on the worship band. Just kidding, not, not at all, but just I'm trying something new, you know, maybe it's a mid- midlife crisis or something. Learning to play the piano, and so I do that, and then I also envision just reading my book in my comfy chair and with my blanket on. So piano, book, this is my vision. This is what I wanted to do. And so I'm sitting at the piano and I'm playing and my little son Micah comes up to the piano. And he does this sometimes. He literally will take my hands off the piano. So he took my hands off to the piano so that I would be looking at him. And he said, Daddy, will you go on a picnic with me? And inside, I know it's cute, isn't it? But on the inside I was thinking, no, I don't want to go on a picnic with you. It's cold out. I know it sounds cruel, and I'm not supposed to say that, but it's cold outside, and I want to play piano, books. This is what I do. This is my vision. This is my life. No, I don't want to go on a picnic. And so I I looked at him, and and usually, you know, as a parent, you might, you know, tell a little fib to your child and say, you know, Daddy can't go on a picnic because he's got to cook food, or I've got to talk to Mommy. You know, I've got so many things to do, I can't do it. But I decided just to kick some honesty with Micah, and I said, Micah, Daddy just doesn't want to go on a picnic. It's cold out there, Micah. I just don't want to go out there. I just, I just don't want to do it. I was thinking, you know, Moana, you know, this is who you are. You know, this is who you find out what you like. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And then Anita walks by and gives me this look. And guys, you know the look, right? It's like, what? Really? You selfish pigs, you, you know, that sort of thing. So we had a picnic. (laughs) 
you know, we, we went into the kitchen and we filled this little backpack with an apple, you know, and a sandwich and all that. And we go outside and it's cold, you know, and we're walking up the street. Michael, where are we going to have a picnic? Oh, we're just going to go, you know. So we go up the hill. We get to the top of the hill in my neighborhood and there's a rock there. Let's sit on the rock. Let's have a picnic. And so we sit down and we're having this picnic and I'm chomping on an apple. And I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is cold. <laughs> and then my neighbor walks up. And my neighbor, my neighbor needs Jesus. And he's been in the hospital. Uh, he had a heart issue. They actually had to stop his heart and start it back up again. And so really sick, you know, and he comes walking up the street and he's got his little monitor on. And he, I haven't talked to this guy in months. And so I engage him in conversation and we're talking about his heart and he's, you know, and I'm trying to show him the love of Jesus. And at that moment, I'm realizing, you know, I've said no to myself, however begrudgingly, right? I've said no to myself. I've kind of lost my life. This is my day off. But in doing so, I found my neighbor. And I found God's mission. And I found my little boy. And I found myself. Jesus says, if you lose yourself, paradoxically, Paradoxically, counterintuitively, there you are. C.S. Lewis put it this way look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown. So I don't know what it means for you today. I mean, hopefully as I've been talking, there are just things, maybe for you it's a big decision, like staying in a marriage, even though it's going to cost you, even though it feels like a death, even though it feels like you're just losing your life. Maybe it, for you it means staying in a job. Maybe it means leaving a job. Maybe for you it means finally letting go of a grudge that you want to hold on to because you have a right to be mad. Maybe for you, losing your life means forgiveness, which is always a form of voluntary suffering. So maybe it's a big thing, or maybe it's just a little thing like taking your hands off of a piano. You know, Jesus, in another version of this saying, he says, pick up your cross daily. What that means is that every day in all of our lives, there are a million opportunities to say no to self, and yes to your neighbor, and yes to God's mission, and ultimately yes to yourself. I'm almost done here, but you know, at the end of the day though, this takes trust. You know, Peter, as he stood against Jesus and he wanted to hold on to his life and he wanted to say no and none of this stuff, I think what's underneath all of that is fear. When Jesus says deny yourself, I think one of the reasons why we rise up against that is because we're afraid. What will happen if I lose my life? What if I let it go? Not in the frozen sense, but in the Jesus sense. What if I do let it go? What's going to happen? What about my life? This is my only life. How do I know that I can trust him? Well, in the story, there's two crosses. There's two crosses, and the, the order is important. The first cross that Jesus talks about is his cross. And the second cross is the cross that he's calling us into. And listen, you will never take up your cross until you see Jesus on his cross for you.
Because when Jesus stretches out his hand and says, follow me, the hand that he stretches out has a nail scar, a scar in it. And he's saying, I lost my life for you. I've given everything for you. I love you. I am for you. I, am f I want you to find yourself, and I want you to trust me. Trust me when I say that the way to find yourself is tonight to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage that you give us about self-denial, about giving up the reins of our lives, about picking up a cross, about losing our life, crucifying the false self. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak. I pray that, that your word would do its work this morning. And I pray for us, your people, as, as we consider these words, that you would show us in our lives what you might be calling us to. What are, what are the costs? What are those things that you're calling us to give up? Where are those, those places in our lives that are false, that are wrong, that are broken? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a pattern of behavior. Maybe it's an unforgiveness or an unreconciled relationship. God, we pray that you would speak, and I pray that you would help us to see how good you are so that we would open our hands and give our lives to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.